up, everyone? It's your host, Mario Fraley. This is our final episode of 2022. It is our annual best of compilation of conversations that I've had throughout the year. Joining me for this one to help take you through it is my right-hand man and sponsorship director of The Morning Shakeout, Chris Douglas. Chris, it's been a while since I've had you on the show. Welcome back. Thank you so much. Love being on The Morning Shakeout podcast. It's going to be a lot of fun. Before we get into the clips that I've compiled for this episode and we talk a little bit about each one, I think we should kick things off just by doing a state of the shakeout. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I think, uh, you know, this year has been one of tremendous growth and uh, it feels like the podcast has just taken a lot more work than it has in the past. So schedule guests and just the grind of doing it week in and week out. So, um, you know, we've decided, we, you, Morning Shakeout, the Royal We, decided to, to, to take Q1 off from the podcast just to re-envision how we want to have it move forward. So you want to tell us a little bit about kind of what, what your thoughts are on that? Yeah, that's exactly right. The Morning Shakeout podcast is, as of just a few weeks ago, five years old. So I've put out 216 unique standalone episodes. There's a number of episodes of Common Ground, um, rerun conversations, some live shows that have gone in there. But for the most part, with very few exceptions, I've been very consistent week in and week out putting a long-form conversation out into the world via the podcast medium. And I love the I love the medium. I love talking to people. I love having these conversations. I am continually in awe of the impact that they have on people because I never know once I put them out how it lands with someone. I know how it impacts me. And, um, you know, that is very meaningful. But, you know, I hear from listeners every week about the role that the podcast plays in their life. They listen to it on the run or when they're commuting to work or when they're cleaning dishes around the house. And that, you know, that means so much to me. Um, But Mm -hmm. this year, specifically in the last six months, it has just felt like a lot more work. I mean, and the amount of work that goes into each episode per week is is around 10 hours a week or so between setting up the guest, doing the research, um, getting the conversation recorded, editing it, and then actually uh, publishing the thing. And most of the episodes that I I have are one to two hours long. And they are, um, you know, not only time consuming, but they're emotionally exhausting. I mean, it takes me a while to recover from big conversations. And that really started to wear on me this year. And and I knew it um, in the summertime. But you know, I committed to a set number of episodes through the end of the year, and I wanted to see that through, but I had to admit to myself that I needed a break. And in the five years that I've been doing this podcast, I have not taken a lengthy break of time. I mean, it's kind of, you know, finish up one episode, and it's already into the next one. And the ones that you guys hear every week, I'm, I'm already like a week or two beyond that at, you know, at that point, because that's just how, you know, publishing works in, in general. But I really feel like I need the space um, away from the podcast and thinking about it on a weekly basis and putting everything that goes into a, a conversation to just step back and 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 figure out what it is that I want it to be moving forward and you know the time that I want to put into it because I've had to admit to myself and I'm admitting to all of you listening to this now doing a weekly long form 
podcast in the way that I have been doing it with everything else that I've been going on is just unsustainable for me. I know other people uh, can do that and do it multiple times per week. And, um, you know, I will, I will continue to cheer those people on, but yeah, bless it's, them. <laughs> it's, yeah, bless them. It's too much for me uh, right now. And I just, I just need a break. Uh, but I do love the medium. I love podcasting. I love connecting um, with people through the, the spoken word. And I will get back to it. But um, I think the break will just give me the space that I need to re-examine things and figure out, you know, what type of format I want to go with, what frequency I think is going to be a big one that I want to put the show out. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do I mix things up a little bit, have some long-form conversations, have some things that are a little bit more personal, try to do something uh, episodic. Uh, That's an idea that we're, you know, we're throwing around. So I don't know the answer to that right now, but There will not be any new episodes in Q1 of 2023, but starting sometime in Q2, uh, the podcast will come back with some regularity. So stay subscribed to the feed. Uh, When a new episode does drop, you will be the first to see it. But that's the major update as of December 2022. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a big one. And I think... um... I mean, we've talked about this offline, just how much the podcasting space has changed um, just in the running space. I think when you started this five years ago, I mean, were there any long form running podcasts out there? There were um, not as many as there are now. I mean, I think think 2020 served as a bit of an accelerant. There were people who (laughs) were home more and had the time. And, uh, you know, in terms of of this medium, doing an interview style show is, is... you know, fairly easy to to do from a technical standpoint these days. There are a number of great platforms that you can use. Um, you know, microphones are fairly cheap. You don't even need a microphone. Most people will use, you know, iPhone headphones. I do think you can tell the, the quality difference there, but that's a whole other discussion for, you know, a different day. But, I mean, the, the space has become very... Uh, populated, I'd even say saturated, um, with long-form interview-style shows. And, you know, I pride myself on the work that I do and the guests that I bring on and the conversations that I have. But, you know, there is a, a ton of competition out there. And I say that, you know, in a very respectful way. But, I mean, there's only 24 hours in a day and you can only listen to, you know, so many podcasts. And when you have like a one to two hour show, I mean, that's a, you know, that's a big commitment. And when you do it every week, I mean, speaking for myself as just a consumer of podcasts and someone who loves the the long form, I can't keep up with all the shows that I listen to. So, I mean, if, if I'm having that issue as a listener, I know that my listeners are as well. So I want to go back to the drawing board and figure out how can, you know, I serve all of you who are listening to this in a way that is sustainable, not only for, for me as the person who's putting it together and publishing it each week, but for you as a listener who I know is going to be listening to, you know, a lot more stuff. So uh, long story short, stay tuned. Love it. Love it. It's going to be great. Stay tuned, everybody. I think so too. So, but, but that's not all that you have going on. I think uh, we, have a, we have another pretty big announcement. So why don't you share that with everyone? Yeah, I have a lot of irons in the fire. Um, for those of you who don't know, I spend most of my working time coaching. I've got you know twenty to twenty-five athletes that I work with individually at any given time. I coach a group here in the Bay Area where I live, and most of my working hours are are consumed by coaching. Um, one of my athletes, one of my better known athletes, is a guy named Ken Rideout. He's also a two-time guest of the podcast. In the past few years, he has transformed himself into one of the top 50 
plus runners, marathoners in the world. He finished second at the Abbott World Marathon Majors Championship in London last fall. He won his age group at Boston this year, was second in Berlin and Chicago. He's run under 230 as a 50-year-old. Um, his story is really gotten out there, not only in, in running, but beyond. He was on the Rich Roll podcast this year, um, which really expanded his profile. And he had a number of people reach out to him about coaching. And Ken told him, hey, I'm, I'm not a coach. Uh, so sorry, I can't, I can't help you there. But he had enough people asking him that he then came to me um, and a, another mutual friend of ours, Todd Anderson, and asked if we'd be interested in doing a fall marathon training program with him. And I would write the running workouts. Todd would do the strength. Ken would provide the accountability and the inspiration. So we did that. This past fall, we had 10 athletes in our pilot program. It was a smashing success. We had a lot of personal bests. We had a couple people finish their first marathons. And I mean, we realized there was something there and we wanted to see if we could scale that in 2023. So we are expanding, um, what we're calling Team Ride Out Strong. It is a team, first and foremost, but it's also a training program for any runner who wants to commit themselves to consistency, work hard, and go after big goals, whether that's a personal best, breaking three hours in the marathon, four hours, trying to win their age group. We're looking for athletes who want to get better than they are today and do it in an environment that is supportive. So this really is a team. Uh, it's a virtual endeavor. So we will be connected online. Hopefully we'll be able to meet in person at races at the end of a, a training program. But you know, you're gonna get customized half marathon marathon training from myself. You're gonna get complimentary strength training from Todd Anderson, who's certified strength and conditioning coach, um, former college football player at Michigan State, also uh with the St. Louis Rams for a while. And he is actually in our program and is going to be getting into running this spring. He's going from a pure power athlete. Uh he was a fullback. Um so just picture that. He's, he's a large human being. And he is currently training for his first marathon at the end of April. Um, but he's committed to it. And, you know, that's all we're looking for is just committed athletes who want to be a part of something that is bigger than themselves, be supportive of one another. Um, I really believe you are getting world-class coaching from myself, Todd, and Ken. We've got an incredible lineup of guest speakers. I mean, just speaking about the ones that we had last fall, most of whom we will bring back uh, in the spring program. We've got Todd's wife, Katie Hoff, who is an Olympic swimmer and medalist. Uh, we have Steve Magnus, performance coach who I've had on this podcast a couple times. We also had Des Linden, 2018, Boston Marathon champion, two-time Olympian. Um, you know, we have some other great speakers that I can't speak about right now lined up for 2023. We're going to have a 10-week program in the spring, which is like a half-marathon marathon track. We are going to have a summer of speed uh, where there aren't really many marathons, longer races, but... I have a philosophy of get fast first. So before you go into a training cycle for a longer race, like a half marathon or marathon, I think there is a lot of benefit. Not only do I think I've seen just over the years of, of coaching, there's a lot of benefit in developing the short end of the speed spectrum, that 5K, 10K type of fitness when your overall volume is going to be a little bit lower, the workout intensity is going to be a little bit higher, and you go into a half marathon, marathon training cycle just really fit and efficient. And we see this at the professional level. I mean, a lot of pros who will run a fall half marathon or marathon usually do it coming off of a track season. So, you know, we're going to train people in the summertime, uh, not necessarily for track races, but, you know, for that 5k, 10k type of distance, um, 
for many long distance runners, that is very, very uncomfortable, but it's also super beneficial. Um, so that'll be the middle 10 week program. And then we've got a fall 10 week half marathon, marathon track where, you know, if you've been in the program the entire year, everything is building to that to make you just a completely different athlete than you were at the beginning of 2023. So we've got, you know, individual options for each 10 week program. We've got an annual option, which right now is discounted until December 31st. That price will go up at the beginning of the year. And you can check everything out at rideoutstrong.com. Follow us on Instagram at Team Rideoutstrong. And we're putting out, you know, fresh content every couple of days. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm super excited about it. I mean, I, I coach primarily individuals, but having this team environment, which we had this past fall, it's a totally different dynamic. And, you know, the athletes really get to know each other. Um, you know, some of them are running the same races, so they'll start following each other on Strava, sharing information, tips, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And and that's really like, you know, invaluable on top of just the, the world-class coaching that you're going to get, you know, the speakers that you're going to have access to. Um, the community is really what makes this special. So I'm super excited about it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, before we get to the best of 2022, let's uh, shout out our sponsors for this episode. Up first yeah. is New Balance, our favorite sponsor. Big, yeah. Big thank Tied you to favorite. New Balance. Yeah. Longtime sponsor <laughs> of the Morning Shakeout at this point. Um, they've been super supportive of me and my work over the last few years. Only running shoes that I wear are New Balance for training and racing. Um, I've got a whole like quiver of shoes that I will go through at any given time. And while I know it's not practical for most runners to have as many shoes as, as I have, nor would I, nor would I advise it. I mean, not only does it get expensive, it's kind of ridiculous. You do want to have, you know, some different shoes for different types of workouts, much like you'd have different golf clubs for different types of shots. So, you know, for me, just on a, on a very high level, like my go-to, the shoe that I run most of my miles in is the Fresh Foam 1080 V12. It's, just a workhorse of a shoe. I wear that for probably 75, 80% of my miles, like easy aerobic runs, long runs. Um, they're even good on, you know, pretty tame trails, but that's where I'm putting most of my miles is on that shoe. It's just a great everyday trainer. I mean, I beat on it and I can get like several hundred miles, um, out of a pair of, of 1080s. It's got great cushioning. It's super responsive. That's the one that, you know, I'm, I'm pulling out more often than not, but you know, I, go fast a couple times a week. And when I go fast, I like to have something a little lighter and snappier on my foot. And for that, you know, I wear the Fuel Cell Rebel V3. Um, I loved the V2, the V3. I, I couldn't believe it was actually a better shoe than the V2. Um, this has their Fuel Cell foam. It's super responsive, just really fun to run in. It's got good cushioning, but it is a little bit lower to the ground. So your proprioception is a little bit better. Um, it does not have a plate in it. So it just allows your foot to kind of move however it wants to move. But this is a shoe that I wear for like track workouts, fartlek sessions. If I'm doing up-tempo long runs and I don't want to be in a, a carbon plated shoe, um, this is the shoe that, you know, that I will, I will go to. Um, I actually sent all of my athletes that I coach one-on-one -on -one a pair of Rebel V3s for Christmas this year because I am like that stoked about this shoe. <laughs> um, I think it's an important one to have in the rotation. So uh, even though I'm not running in it, you know, all of the time uh, when I do run on it, when I do run in it, it's a very special day. And then uh, the last shoe that I'll highlight here which is, is one that's kind of in transition, but it is 
my racing shoe. And, you know, for that, I wear the Fuel Cell Elite, um, Super Comp Elite is what they're calling it now. And right now the V2 is what is out. I love it. I've worn it for pretty much all of my road races from 5K on up for the last two years. I did just get... um, the New York City marathon version of the V3, which is going to be released in a different colorway in the spring. I think you ran CIM in that shoe as well. And it's a super fun, like, go fast shoe. Um, I've got some some pretty big racing plans next year, uh, the Boston Marathon being one of them for spring. And, like, I've already got those puppies in my closet, like, just, like, <laughs> put away. I'm only going to use them for a few key workouts beforehand, so I want to be nice and fresh for race day. It's a pretty slick colorway as well. But that, you know, uh, fuel cell, the Super Comp elite uh v3 is you know the shoe that i i will do most of my long distance races and and i I mean i've got you know three other different types of new balance shoes and we'd probably spend an hour talking about them here but like those are the three that you know i go to more often than not i've got kind of my everyday trainer i've got my shoe that i wear for speed workouts and then the one that i wear for racing that's awesome that's awesome yeah and you can check out all the the whole lineup at newbalance.com yes you can And our second sponsor for this final episode of 2022 is our friends at Precision Fuel and Hydration. Uh, We both love this company. Uh, Not only do they make the best fueling and hydration products for training and racing, uh, no matter what endurance sport you're doing, whether it's running, triathlon, cycling, or if you're Chris, swim run, um, these guys also provide just invaluable education for endurance athletes at all levels. It's not salesy at all. I mean, they're... Mm -hmm blog is just incredible. Um, the whole team is great. Andy Blow, who is one of the founders of Precision Fuel and Hydration, he and I held a webinar not that long ago on fueling and hydration for marathons and ultras, shared just like a ton of great information. He took questions. Uh, they've got articles on their website about carbohydrate needs, uh, how to train your gut to take in more fuel. Uh, they've got a fuel and hydration planner on their website, which I helped them uh, build earlier this year. And it's just a great tool to help you like dial in your fueling and hydration needs for training and racing with incredible precision. I have used precision fuel and hydration products for years now. Their gels were just released. I think within the last two years, I used them for my last Mm -hmm. marathon at Boston in 2021. I'll be using them again at Boston in 2023. Um, They've got drink mixes. Um, I mean, just I can't say enough good things about this company. Their website is precisionfuelandhydration.com. If you want to try some of their products, they've given us a code to pass along to you. It's TMS22. That's capital T, capital M, capital S, 22. Uh, when you check out at precisionfuelandhydration.com, and you will save 15% off your first order. Yeah, they're great. I think uh, one thing to definitely highlight is, as you mentioned, they're not salesy. Anyone can make an appointment with them to talk about your nutrition and hydration plans for your race, and they'll just give you knowledge, whether it's for their products or some or some other products. Like, They just really want everyone to achieve their goals. Yeah, and, and that's a good point. Right on their website, on the homepage, you can find it with very little effort. You can schedule a 20-minute consult with someone on their team, and they will listen to your questions and try to help you solve your problems. So that's another great resource that they provide for free that you should totally take advantage totally. of. Totally. They're the best. They're the best. Well, I think with that, why don't we get into this best of 2022 All right. That was the longest intro I think we've ever done for the Morning Shakeout (laughs) podcast. So let's get right into the episode. For sure. For sure. So first up is Boloda Asmaram. 
this was episode 190, if you're following along at home. Um, so I, I think what would be really interesting for me is but instead of you just teeing up these these clips that, that you that you pulled out mario it's how, how did this interview come about like did you did you know Boloda? did you how'd you run into him yeah so that's a great question i am a long time running in track nerd i mean anyone who's been following this show long enough or reads my newsletter knows that um Belota is someone whose career i've been following since i mean i was in college i think when he was at the peak of his career. And Belota stood out for two reasons. One, he was really fast. Uh, he was running low 13 minutes. I think 1318 is his personal best in the 5,000 meters when not many American men, not many people, period, were running under 1320 very regularly. This is in like the early 2000s. Um, the other thing that stood out about Belota is he's the only person other than Jakob Ingerbritsen that I know who raced 5,000 meters in a speed suit, which is typically like the attire that you'll see sprinters in, but he would wear a full body speed suit. So he stood out for those two reasons. Um, but, you know, if you're running 1318 or whatever it was that he was putting down for 5,000, uh, you know, you can wear a speed suit. Um, you can get away with you can wear whatever you want. So, <laughs> yeah. So he's someone whose career, like, you know, I just followed when I was coming up in the sport and I didn't know Belota at all. Now, fast forward to, to now, like 2020s, uh, let's call it. I knew that he resided in the Bay area. He went to Cal Berkeley for college basically you know stuck around here um for his entire adult life we had some mutual friends but i never actually like had a conversation with him or or said hi and he co-owns a running shop over in oakland which is on the other side of the bay from where i live called renegade running and i just got his contact info reached out to him and asked him if he wanted to sit down and have a conversation with me and he said yes so earlier this year i drove over to Oakland. I went to Renegade Running first time in the shop. Beautiful store, by the way. It's right on Grand Avenue um, in the heart of, of Oakland. They've done some incredible things for that community. We sat upstairs in their recovery lounge, which is pretty sick. I mean, they just have these like awesome recliners up there and turned the mics on and had a two plus hour conversation that I don't think that was the first episode that I put out for the year. It, might, it was definitely one of the first three. It was in January that that one went out. I think it was like the third week of the year, but um, really helped to just like kind of set the tone for the early part of the year. Like those are the kind of conversations that I love having for this podcast when someone doesn't have, you know, any real hard stop in terms of time. They're completely open. They have an incredible story and message and they're willing to share it and below to, you know, checks all of, of those boxes. I mean, that's a long one. That's like two plus hours. And I mean, the time flew by and we were having it. I remember when we hit stop, I was like, man, that was like two, you know, two Oh something. He's like, really? I was like, yeah. Uh, it flowed very naturally, even though we had never, um, spoken to one another before. And I mean, his story is just incredible. I mean, he, you know, came to this country from Eritrea when he was just a, you know, a young child, um, 10 landed in San Francisco, um, you know, eventually found, you know, found running, uh, he competed in the Olympics for Eritrea. I mean, uh, was one of the best runners in the U.S. for a majority of his, his pro career. He's in his mid-40s now. And he's not 
competing quite at that level, but he still races. I see him at local races, you know, all the time. And now that I'm 40 plus and I see bloat on the line, I'm like, crap, like I got my, I got my work. Yeah. I got my work cut out for me still on just like a completely different level. But, um, yeah, that was, that was one of my, uh, one of my most memorable conversations for this year. All right. Well, let's get to this clip from episode 190. Did you not realize it was trauma till you went to counseling school yourself? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, yeah, exactly. You don't realize it. You just think like it's, a, it's, it's normal. Mm-hmm. It's a part of survival. That's what people do. Just suck it up. Be tough, you know? Like I used to cry a lot when I was a kid. And my brother would be like, you gotta stop crying. You're embarrassing us. And you gotta, you know, so he made me stop crying. And, but, but when I stopped crying, that was it. I couldn't cry anymore. Yeah. Like when my dad died, I didn't cry. I, could, I didn't feel anything. Yeah, like, it you just know, went numb. Yeah, it was just numb. So a lot of things happen like that. You know, you, you, I, don't, I don't understand the mind enough to say, like, what causes those things. But that definitely, I can, t- I can see it now, you know. There was trauma there. And the way I coped was very different from the way my brother coped. And uh, I think maybe he had a much healthier way of coping than I did. And, uh, but, but I see him now, too. He's, he's you know, he's 44 now. And he's going through it, you know. And I've already kind of like worked it, worked, worked through, through it. it. Maybe there will be another cycle for me in my fifties that I'll go, I'll have another breakdown or something. But it's good though. I like it because we're all working at it. You know, we're we're working. We're not. We're facing our fears and we're dealing with our traumas. We're not still trying to just put them away and just sweep them under the rug and just kind of leave them there. You know. Well, and I think that goes for all of us in our own ways. Everyone's story is a bit different, but we're all works in progress. Exactly. And, and I think the keywords there are, are in progress. Like mm-hmm. you never arrive at this place where like, oh, I'm, I'm completely okay. Like yeah. there's always that, like that, that past is always going to be there and it may rear its, you mm-hmm. know, it may not rear its head, you know, quite as fiercely as it did at another point in your life, but you know, it's not going to, it's not going to go away. It's either. not. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, uh, you have to understand to everybody have, have, their own way of dealing with something, you know, mm-hmm. as my brother and I did. But there's also like the pace matters, you know. Like you, are, some people are slow, some people are fast, you know. And yeah, I mean, everyone processes differently. Yeah, so you got to give them that, you mm-hmm. know. I know we want them to just get over it and just come on, just get over it. Come, come be with me, you know. But you can't do that. Yes. And I think that's the bond. That's the thing about running. And that's why I started running. Is like the, the my, my first race, I felt something. Yeah. You know, I I felt something. I was like, oh my god, this feels this it feels it feels something. You know, like you it hurts, but you can feel something again. You're not numb anymore. And then and then with running, you know how it is. Like you can always run faster, right? Yeah. You can always run harder. So you, forever you're gonna feel something. This is like a hell of a gift. Mm-hmm. And 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 fortunately, like I'm genetically, I have that ability to keep running and running and running to the point where I can just run really fast and hurt for a very long time and sustain that hurt, you know, because that's what really makes me feel alive. Alive, yeah. So, so it's just like well, a drug. Not, well, and, and in that circumstance, you're not numb anymore. Exactly. And, and that's my way. That's my way. When I'm out there running, when I'm doing like 15, 20 mile runs, that's what I'm working. I'm working on it. That's, my, that's how I work on my problems, you know? Mm-hmm. I get out there, I get to that point. You know, in the beginning, it's all jumbled up. Your thoughts are everywhere. And finally, you get to that point where Find it's clarity. all fun. Then you get into one, and then you start running really fast or whatever. You don't feel the ground anymore. You're floating. You get to that state. That's where you can do some serious processing, you know? 
that's a whole nother stratosphere there. That's beautiful. And I'm sure every runner has been there. You know, and, and, and that's what you try to do, right? You try to hold on. You try to stay in that zone for a very long time. And a lot of people do that in different ways. Like musicians do it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they run there in that zone, kind of, you know, everybody's like, flow. Like, yeah, exactly. The flow state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing about running that keeps me coming back for more, you know? All right. Up next, we have Luis Grijalva, who was on episode 191. So right after Bolota and... He is, he was a 22-year-old Olympian who raced for Guatemala. So tell us a little bit about his backstory. Yeah. Um, this one is another conversation that's just personally really meaningful to me. Um, Luis's story got a lot of attention the last couple of years for two reasons. One, he's very fast. Um you know, he ran at Northern Arizona University, multi-time, All-American, um, you know, incredibly fast collegiate runner, um, and ended up representing Guatemala at the Olympics in Tokyo in 2021. But he's also a DACA recipient, and his story got a lot of attention for that because he, even though had qualified to represent Guatemala in the Olympics wasn't going to be able to go to Tokyo because he is not allowed to leave the country as a DACA recipient. And there was a lot of campaigning done on his behalf and kind of at like, like it was like an 11th hour uh, type of deal that he got special permission to travel to Tokyo and would be allowed back in the United States and, you know, not deported to um, Guatemala. I mean, this is the only country that he's ever known. He's been here since he was a baby. Um, grew up in Fairfield, California, which is not far from where I live now, but couldn't be like further away in terms of like the type of environment that it is. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a rough place. Uh, and we talked a bit about that in this conversation. But um, another reason this is personally very meaningful to me it was Luis's first podcast. He had never done oh. one before. And I mean, we, we went big from the, the get-go. There's another like two plus hour one and we didn't do it in person. This was recorded um, remotely, but it was long. I mean, you know, Luis just has an incredible story. He's never really told it at length before. And I just um, feel really grateful that he trusted me enough to provide him the platform to to do that. And, um, yeah, I mean, that could have been a six hour podcast to be honest. Um, but it's, you know, two hours, uh, two hours worthwhile. And I definitely recommend, you know, listening to it. I mean, you know, Luis really, I think, you know, exemplifies what it means to be a dreamer in this country and just some of the opportunities that, you know, if he weren't here, he never, you know, he never would have gotten. And by sharing his story, um, I think it resonates with, you know, a lot of other people who are out there. And he's just, he's just the nicest guy, you know, and he works super hard. And um, after this conversation, uh, months after this conversation, he ran in the world championships this summer for Guatemala in the 5,000 and almost medaled. He was fourth place. I mean, it was like one of the craziest finishes that I've ever seen. If you watch the men's 5,000 meter final at the world championships from Eugene, Oregon, um, he had the fastest last hundred meters of anyone in the race. He went from like eighth to fourth and almost medaled, um, you know, in that race. So he's having an impact uh, at the global level. And I just, again, feel really honored and grateful that um, he gave me the opportunity to help tell his story. 
Awesome. Well, let's listen to the clip from episode 191 with Luis Grijalva. Let's go back to your beginnings. You are a DACA recipient. You're from Guatemala. You grew up in Fairfield, California. What are your earliest memories of childhood growing up in Fairfield, which is just outside of Vacaville? Yes, yeah, a little background story about myself. So when I was uh, I was born in Guatemala in the capital, so Guatemala City. And then mm-hmm. when I turned a year old, I actually moved to New York City with my uh, parents. And then we lived in New York City. I, think I lived in the Bronx for about three years. And then from there, we moved out to uh, Fairfield, California at the age of four. And kind of how it played out, um, just growing up in Fairfield, California. At the time, uh, yeah, as a member, yeah, my parents both uh, just, they were, I think, yeah, just kind of growing up with my parents and just brothers at the time. And yeah, I think I had a lot of issues with uh, a lot of adversity because uh, Fairfield is kind of a city where it's uh, it's pretty ghetto, honestly. And I feel like sometimes people don't know what uh, where you come from. So I feel like growing up in the city of Fairfield, uh, I had to go through a lot just because uh, the schools weren't that great. I mean, like, I think there was no, I didn't do any sports until I got into high school because, um, yeah, the school district was uh, so poor that they couldn't fund uh, sports in middle school and elementary school. So not until high school, that's where I did uh, cross country and track and field. But um, for the most of it, uh, I mean, how I kind of grew up in Fairfield was, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's funny now because it, when I look back at it, like, like I was a little punk back then. Like, <laughs> I didn't care. I was just, just a different different person who I was like trying to be. And yeah, I just remember just going the wrong, I could have gone into the, like the wrong path, but luckily running was there to kind of help me out. Before you got into running, who did you want to be? Like what kind of kid were you? Yeah. I mean, like in middle school and elementary school, I got into a lot of trouble. I mean, I remember always getting sent to the principal's office and then they were lecturing me because I did something bad or something kind of along the lines. And I mean, like, I was getting into a lot of trouble, and especially in middle school, like, I think that's a time in my life where I definitely could have gone in, into a different path. And then kind of leading up to high school, um, I remember I was always pretty good running at the mile and PE. And then uh, one of the high school coaches kind of noticed me and then said, hey, you should come out for cross-country training and for the summer. And, yeah, I just remember, in a way, running kind of changed my life because I always felt like I could have gone into the uh, – other direction where I, you know, maybe wouldn't have got a scholarship to NEU, maybe would have got a college degree or gone to the Olympics, all these things. But yeah, I don't know what I would be doing if I wasn't running. And it's just crazy how uh, at the age of 14, like making the decision to go run at age 14 can change my entire life in so many ways. Up next, we have episode 194, Amy Leadham. She is, this is an amazing story. Actually, this is one of my favorite podcasts of the year. I'm just going to put it out there. But why don't you tell us, tell the listeners a little bit of, you know, how you know Amy and uh, what you liked about this conversation. Well, the short answer to that is I've been Amy's coach for the last several years. Um, Amy's an incredible person. She's a fantastic runner, primarily focuses on the trails, but she's also super fast. I mean, she ran 248 for the marathon on the roads couple years ago. Um, she's a, still a relatively new mom. I mean, her, her daughter Isla is three, I think at this point, um, her first and, and only child. 
and Amy is just one of the just the most real people you'll ever met you'll ever meet um she's from the east coast like i am she will just give it to you straight she doesn't try to be anyone that she's not and this is just another just raw honest conversation and a lot of it centered around the struggles and complications that she had during and after pregnancy and how oftentimes there is a picture that gets painted of the new mom who's, you know, running shortly after pregnancy and then gets faster than they were before. And, and like that, that's a very valid story for, for a lot of people, but there are also a lot of women who struggle and, uh, Amy struggled in, in a very like mighty way and fought her body, um, and still fighting her body, uh, even, even years later. And she was not afraid to share that story. I think a, a lot of women, when they're going through that, if it's, if it's not going well, you're not going to post about it on social media. You're not going right. to, you know, share all the details of, you know, how, how tough it is. And, um, Amy did that before she got on my podcast, she wrote a blog post for ProKit, which kind of went viral and I think resonated with a lot of people, but we went into deeper detail about it on the podcast and talked about how her relationship to running had changed and evolved, what she hopes to get out of it in the years ahead. And I just, you know, I'm not, I'm not a parent. I'm obviously not a, a woman, but it's just a very powerful, honest, raw conversation that based on the, the feedback I got on it was very helpful to a lot of people. Yeah, with that, let's get to episode 194 with Amy Leadham. Okay, I've, I've got one more, and I promise this is the last one. How has your relationship with running changed over the past two years? Oh, man. Um, I don't, I definitely never hated it because. I wouldn't have been so distraught about not being able to do it if I hated it, but I I would say I was afraid of it for a very long time because again every every step was like quite a lot of pain, um, and so that really sucked. Um, but I needed some space. Like I I stepped back from social media and there weren't really races going on, but I just kind of had to take a break from trying to follow the races and the results that were going on because it just felt like too much of a stab to the heart. Um, uh, like I said, I, I, there were many times where I genuinely didn't think I was ever going to be able to run like even like three miles again. Um, and so, yeah, there was this kind of period where I was trying to let go of it because I thought I wasn't going to be able to do it. Um, and that was really hard, like grieving. (laughs) Um, and then it started to come back, uh, and the possibility of it, like, came back and now it's just like it makes me feel alive I'm better I'm a better partner now that I'm able to run again I'm much better at my job like much more efficient and present and all of that just because I'm able to both like release when I'm running and fill up my tank um so it's it's been a tough road but it's here to stay I hope and it's it's such a fundamental part of uh of me that it, I really need it to be there in some form, um, for the long haul. And that's my only goal really. Like, yes, I want to compete and it's fun, but like, I won't do anything that puts the ability to run for a long time into jeopardy because I've seen what that's like. And my life without running is very tough. (laughs) 
up next is another of my favorite conversations of the year. Probably going to be hearing that a lot from me, but uh, episode 197 with Phil Shin. Now, this is an amazing story. He's a cancer survivor. He's a fast runner. And I love how this relationship between you and him came about. So why don't we, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit on how that developed and blossomed? Yeah. Happy to do that. I, I just had the realization as, um, you were setting this one up, I'm like, oh, this is the fourth, um, episode that we've highlighted. And it's also another yep. one that's around <laughs> two hours, which is kind of a, a common theme of a lot of the ones that have been pulled out here. They were, uh, you know, not that that length is, is everything, but a lot of them ended up being, um, you know, fairly, uh, fairly long episodes, like in the neighborhood of, of two hours, if not a little bit more in, in some cases. And this was definitely one of those. Um, so Phil is not an elite runner, but he's a very good runner, Boston Marathon qualifier. He has been a listener of the Morning Shakeout for a little while now. He and I had corresponded over email, and he... I'm trying to remember exactly how this happened, but in our correspondence, he had mentioned how he was going to run the Boston Marathon in 2021. So that was the fall Boston Marathon with his liver donor, Mark Murphy. And I don't even remember if he necessarily pitched it as a, a podcast episode. And I, I mean, I get these types of pitches every week and and they're all like incredible stories, but I, I obviously can't say yes to, you know, to all of them. But for, for some reason, I knew I had to have a conversation with this, this guy. Um, I, and I can't to this day explain to you why, I asked him to to come on the show exactly other than something was pulling at me to have a conversation with with Phil. And we'd never talked before this episode. We just emailed each other back and forth. Um, we hit it off. We had a long conversation, you know, talked through um, just his his journey in running. I mean, he was he was not a lifelong runner, definitely found it late. Um, you know, his cancer diagnosis, um, you know, having part of his liver removed then having to have a complete re- liver transplant after cancer returned, um, you know, just, uh, everything, you know, around that, how he navigated it. Uh, I mean, he ran through a lot of it, um, but emotionally how he navigated it, um, how the people in his life showed up for him and the clip you're about to hear that I, I pulled out. It, it's a fairly lengthy one, but as you'll hear when you listen to it, it left me speechless. And I, I'm not going to ruin it. Uh, I, I yeah, I, I don't know how to talk about it without like actually ruining it. You just have to to listen to it. Um, but I've never had a moment like that in all the years that I've been I've been doing this podcast. Um, you know, it was Phil just kind of recounting a, an experience that he had that was was meaningful for you know for him and i i didn't know how to respond to it so i'll just let you listen to it here in a minute um but the other crazy thing about this is like a week after we recorded this conversation um a few days after phil was running the way too cool 50k 
up in uh, cool California outside of outside of Auburn. And I was going to be there to support my athletes who were running that day. And we got to meet in person before the race, which was awesome. And, um, you know, just instant connection kind of solidified our, our bond. I mean, we've stayed in touch since then. I mean, you know, we, we text each other very regularly. We saw each other again at Boston in the spring of, of this year. Um, I saw him and invited him to the Mammoth Trail Fest earlier this year, which, um, you know, uh, hope, we're still friends after it. Uh, but, <laughs> Phil ran the, Phil, you know, Phil ran the, Phil ran the 50 K there. Uh, he's going to run his first hundred miler at, uh, at Leadville next year. Um, um, he's just the best guy, and uh, again, like uh, another like meaningful conversation, definitely brought the two of us uh, closer together. And he's just someone I'm very grateful to have in my life. Yeah, this this was a great one again. One of my favorite conversations of the whole year, if not ever, for the show. So, with that, let's get to Phil Shin, episode one ninety seven. I definitely kind of like painted myself in this imaginary corner because of all the solo running that I had done, right? I, I didn't really have a community around me in terms of like my own, you know, neighborly community. So like that running group, I still didn't engage with them. So I was still largely running on my own, but something magical did happen in terms of that word community. And this is actually a lot to you. Um, um, this is when I really connected with Gabe Grunewald and the Brave Like Gabe community. Cause I, you know, I, during this time that I was going through the transplant, right. And the uh, stress of waiting for that transplant, I drew so much inspiration, you know, from Gabe uh, and the foundation. Um, uh, to continue to find hope in um, continue to find hope in my future despite my diagnosis. And uh, the reason why I call you out specifically on this is because right after I got the news of my recurrence, you know, I'd already I'd already been familiar with Gabe, but you had done a podcast with her, I believe it was like in October of 2018, which is right around just after, the, just before the time I got that recurrence. And I didn't, I, I, I didn't listen to the podcast when you released it, but I knew it was there. But when I got the recurrence, I went right back to it. And this is like the first time I heard Gabe's voice, right? I, I was immediately connected with her i mean i it was like i almost felt like she marked on me just by hearing her voice because she exuded so much grace so much optimism despite i think at the time she was pretty aware that you know she did not have a promising uh outcome ahead of her but despite all that she still embraced as she would say, she embraced life as it was in technicolor, despite the darkness that she was, you know, living in. So from that point forward, this time I made an effort to like reach out to her through social media. So I sent her a DM just kind of like telling her, hey, look, this is me. This is what I'm going through. And I just want to let you know that um, 
I'm drawing so much inspiration from you, despite my own uncertainty, and with despite my own uncertain outlook. And she responded immediately. And I could feel the spunk coming out of her when she responded to me. And from that point forward, it actually uplifted me to a point that I didn't think I'd be able to get uplifted to, despite my, um, despite all the uncertainty that I was dealing with uh, being listed. So from a community perspective, I basically adopted the community that she had built through the foundation. Um, and uh, that's where I honestly was able to get to my next day and have a much brighter outlook despite, you know, it was despite the fact that I had no idea what that outlook would look like. Man, I don't even know how to respond to that. I mean, we had that conversation myself, Gabe and her husband, Justin, I believe in September of 2018, they came over to my house. I was at my kitchen table. Uh, they had spent some time here in the Bay Area um, when when we recorded that. I think I released it in October that year. Then she passed in June of 2019. Um, and I, I think the last time I listened to that podcast was when I edited it before – putting it out and I, I haven't been able to bring myself to listen to it since but to know that it had that effect on on you at that point of your life with what you were going through um I, I didn't know that. I mean, we've emailed each other before this conversation. I I, I know you, you haven't shared that with me. Um, so I, I apologize. It's just like like hitting me right here right now. Um, and um, yeah, man, I mean, it's uh, – it, it's pretty wild, one, how small this community is, but just how connected it is. And then also I think for – you know, for – for me and not to make this about me at all, like just how uh, impactful these conversations that I'm having for the podcast can, can be for someone. Um, Cause more often than not, I, I don't get to hear how impactful they are for someone, but um, I, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, you know, it, it makes me proud of, of the work that I'm doing and that I can, share these meaningful conversations that that have such an impact but holy cow um yeah i i, I certainly had no intention of i guess blindsiding you like that but i you know i i I've, I've been i've been rather intentional about trying to just reach out to you and praise you know the amazing work that you do but i, I definitely wanted to find space at some point to share that with you and you know it Certainly wasn't to you know <laughs> not not, no, not, no, not, not at all. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm just saying it's yeah. like I just I, you need to know that what you provided to me because honestly I I don't know where my future was gonna go. But Gabe, I mean Gabe 
and she forged a path for me, right? And um, she gave me almost a call to action from that mm-hmm. episode. And it it really had this divine impact on my life and completely flipped my purpose on its head, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm so excited to you know, share with you some of the great work that I've been able to do with Justin and the foundation. But it's, it, it really has rewritten my script in terms of what I want to do with the rest of my days. Because I, you know, I'm, I'm still living with cancer, even though medically it may be out of me. But it, you're never cancer free, as I said right. before, right? So the best thing that I can do is to honor those who weren't able to continue to move their mission forward. Right. So, and that carries, you know, the, and as a consequence, you know, you carry weight as a result of that, which I'm also having to deal with, but you know, I'm grateful to have this opportunity to carry that weight because, you know, if, if I don't do it, I mean, who's to say anyone else is going to do it, right? All right. Up next, we have – I'm, I'm, I'm just going to stop saying that these are my favorite conversations because they're <laughs> all good. So just just assume that that's what I'm going to say. But we have uh, Nell Rojas. This is episode 198. She was a sixth-place finisher in Boston, and this is some breaking news. I think I just read that she was awarded fifth place after uh, someone in the top five got – DQ'd for for, for doping? Yeah, the winner of the race got DQ'd for doping, so everyone moved up. Edna Kiplagat is now the Boston Marathon champion. I believe this was for fall of 2021, and that moved Nell into the top five, and I think she's actually going to get that fifth place payout, which is quite a bit better than than sixth place. So, um, awesome. I'm very excited for Nell. I mean, she's she's very deserving of of that and so much more. I mean, she's just one of my favorite runners in the sport. Um, she's just cool. I mean, and th- and that's what comes across in this conversation. Like Nell is just super cool. I had a lot of fun talking to her. I think she had a lot of fun talking to me. Um, you know, we had this conversation. Back in March. Um, So it was early on in the year. And I mean, you know, since then, she's, you know, continued to put up great results in the marathon is, you know, as recently as New York, uh, just a month or so ago, a little over a month ago, she... um, she actually signed with a couple sponsors. I think she signed with um, Adidas and then that didn't work out. So she got out of that contract and is now a Nike athlete. So, you know, Nell was like, you know, the, the unsponsored... Uh, hero for the longest time, but she finally got a, a sponsorship that she deserves. I mean, in addition to being an awesome runner, she is an incredible person. She's a great coach. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she's an inspiration to to so many, um, especially Latina women. And that's something that we talked about. And that's very, very important to her. And yeah, I mean, that was not a two hour conversation. I can't remember how long it was. It might've been like a little over an hour, but I, I remember it wasn't like super duper lengthy compared to some of the other ones that we've, we've brought up here. But I feel like the quality of that one was just super high from start to finish and uh yeah it was a real pleasure to have Nell on the podcast this year yeah this one was great so without further ado here's Nell Rojas episode 198 what do you think has 
slowed your progress to getting here? Because it wasn't really until, I mean, you ran your first marathon. I think it was CIM 2018, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And yeah. 231, really solid debut. Then you went 228 at Grandma's. I mean, Boston just less than six months ago, another personal best, 227 and some change, top American, top 10 at that race. Um, yeah, I guess what, not that like what got in the way of it, but what, what yeah. stalled your, you know, stalled your development to now where you're, you know, you're in your mid thirties and really starting to have success and hopefully continue to have success. Yeah, that's a good question. And I like, I, I honestly, I don't know. I think about this and I'm like, okay, you know, obviously I want to be, you know, I want to be an Olympian. I want to go to the Olympics. Um, I want to do well at, at Boston. Like I want to podium at Boston and, and guess what? Like it might not be this year. I understand that because I understand like this long-term development and like what it takes and like how lucky you have to be on that day. So, you know, I'm not saying like, yeah, would I love to podium at Boston this year? Yes, but it might not be this year. But um, I, I, so I have these big goals and I'm like, you know, I see these, these women like doing well, like these American women. And I'm like, and I look and like, I do have to be like, okay, but they were like, you know, all Americans in college. I was not an all American in college. And then they won, you know, this and this. And I'm like, do I have that natural ability? You know, like, do I have that in me? Um, because why, yeah, you're right. Like, why did it take me until I was 30 to be a competitive athlete? And one of the reasons it, it might be because that was the first time I tried a marathon. That was the first time I tried a half marathon. Um, so, and that's, that's my distance, you know, but, um, I just like a, a lot of things. Like if you look at pictures of me in college, like I was still like developing a lot. I was, I still had like tons of like baby fat on me, you know, like I was just like not developed enough, I guess. And I think because I just like, I never stopped. Like I just continued, continued, built, 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 built every year. And for some reason, finally um, my body was like, Okay, like, sure, go ahead, I guess. <laughs> what is it about the longer distances, half marathon, marathon specifically, that clicked for you? Or when you felt like, yep, these are my events. This is what I was meant to do as a runner. Um, it was only at that CIM race where, um, you know, I had trained a little bit for that race, but I was really just having fun at that point. You know, like, my dad had always coached me. We were always just like, you know, I'd always done workouts, but it was more just like, um, this is, we just loved it, you know? And, um, I would do local races, but I guess it was CIM in 2018 where my dad was like, I want you to jog this race because like you do have a 10 year career if you want one. So just like figure out what a marathon is. Let's figure out like, if you're any good at it, let's like, just get some experience, whatever. And so he was like, I want you to like go out at like 6.15 or something pace. And I was like, yeah, it's not going to happen, but okay. You know? <laughs> and, um, and so basically that race, like I felt good. I was cruising. Um, 
I had no idea what a good marathon time was. Literally. It was just like, I was just running. I was just like feeling my body being intuitive about it. Um, you know, I got faster every single 5k in that race. And I think after that, like, I was like that, like, first of all, I loved it. It was fun. Second of all, um, apparently 231, you know, at that time was an A, a standard Olympic trials qualifying time. Um, and like, I knew after running that I was like, Oh, I could run way faster than that. So I think all those things combined just like set me up for like a lot of passion and excitement to move forward with the marathon. As you've gotten faster and experienced more success, how have you maintained that fun element of it? You just described how you went into that race in 2018. Like you were just having fun in training. There was no pressure. No one really knew who you were. It was your debut marathon. And since then, you've continued to get faster. You've had more and more success. How do you keep fun in the mix? Um, yeah, I think it's, you know, like if you, if you ask my boyfriend, like I was a lot more fun back then, like training for CIM, we were, he was living in New York at that point. I was in Boulder and like, I would skip runs, you know, I'd be like, yeah, I'll stay out late tonight. You know, we're going to shows, we're doing whatever. And, um, and it didn't matter. And like, as I've gotten like more serious about it, like, fun looks like looks a little different it's more you know type two fun and but i think most importantly is that like because i am older because i'm 34 um i have like a grip on like a good perspective on like what is important and like what matters and i can like you know sometimes at least i can leave my ego behind i have that maturity and so i think with all those things, I'm able to be like, if this isn't fun, I'm not doing this because this is too hard of a way to make money and too hard of a way to live if it is not fun. So the second it is not fun, like I'm out. <laughs> all right. Up next, we have what was really a tearjerker of a conversation with with the one and only Tommy Rives. This is episode 202 of You're Following Along at Home. This conversation happened uh, before... New York City Marathon. Remind me if I'm getting that timeline right, Mario. This one happened the day after the day Boston after. Marathon Boston. in okay, 2022, gotcha, gotcha. which Tommy ran in around six and a half hours, which was about three hours faster than he had done New York the fall before. Um, if you're listening to this and don't know Tommy's story, just Google Tommy Rivers Pusey. Uh, and, you know, go nuts looking at all the links. Um, you know, the, the short of it is in 2020, he started having some, some complications, respiratory complications, uh, was hospitalized for a while. They couldn't figure out what it was. Turned out to be an aggressive form of lymphoma. Um, and Tommy fought for his life. I don't know how else to to put it. Um, he went through a lot. I mean, he was in a medically induced coma for a while. I mean, anyone who's ever seen Tommy, seen photos of Tommy, I mean, he's not built like your typical runner. I mean, he's, he's an athlete. I mean, he's, you know, six feet, six, one, um, and just 
shredded. I mean, he's just shredded. Yeah. Uh, you know, probably, you know, 170 or, or, or so pounds. I'm just trying to like paint a picture. He has this like presence about him, but when he was he sick, has and, a, he has the greatest beard and running. Yeah. Oh, incredible. Yeah. Incredible beard. I'm, I'm envious. I mean, I, I can't grow that much hair on the hair on the top of my head, but, um, yeah, he's got this incredible beard, which is also just like something he's known for heavily tattooed and just has this presence about him and has always had this presence about him. I mean, he, you know, is, is a bit of a, you know, like a kind of a running philosopher. I mean, even before he, you know, got sick, he's an incredible writer and, you know, he has this gift for just kind of, communicating um his experiences in in a way that really resonate with whoever is is paying attention to them but you know when he was sick and going through you know rounds of chemo and all this stuff i mean ecmo i mean i i couldn't tell you the number of surgeries that that he had i mean he um was down to less than 100 pounds i mean he was he was literally like a a, a skeleton in a skin bag um and he's he's posted a couple photos of that and it's just like you know he's his beard is shaven it, it doesn't even you know resemble yeah. him and um long story short he didn't die and hasn't died and you know if anything is like come roaring back to life and just like built himself back up physically um you know he he looks like the you know the ripped athlete that everyone's always known him as i mean he's he's probably the honestly the fittest guy that i that i know but because of what he went through i mean his lungs have sustained a lot of damage and um he's not going to be the elite athlete that he that he once was but as we talked about in this conversation amongst many other things another like two plus hour one um you know he's tr- he's literally training for life you know he says it's not a matter of if but when this cancer comes back and he wants to have his body as ready as possible to you know to to fight it um this is another one that is just like personally very very meaningful to me i had met tommy once or twice before uh I remember once was actually in line at a deli in Forest Hill, California at the Western States 100 while we were waiting for our, you know, respective athletes to to come through that aid station at around 62 miles. We were getting lunch and we just had like a, you know, kind of a quick chat and he and I had exchanged some messages, um, you know, a, a few years ago, but I had the opportunity to interview him after Boston. And I mean, I, I said yes in heart. I was like, whatever I got to do that day. Uh, yeah, let me, like, I'll do it. Um, I'm in. And I I sat down with him in his hotel room in Boston the day after the race, and, and we recorded that conversation. He was very generous with his time. It was over two hours. And I, I just will never forget that experience. I mean, Tommy, you know, since he's been sick, he's had a lot of attention put on, on his story. Um, you know, he's got a lot of people who, like, hang on his every word, who follow him. Um, you know, one of the things that that he did and still does, he's, he's an iFit trainer and, you know, would lead a lot of these workouts, inspired people in that way. You know, he's a physical therapist, he's a coach, he's like a very recognizable member in the communities that he lives in. Um, you know, but he's also a very like private person and he has not done much media since he got sick. Um, Brian Metzler did an article on him for Outside Magazine. He was on the Rich Roll podcast last fall and my podcast. And that's it so far. Um, so, 
you know, to know that I'm one of only a few people who've had the opportunity to sit down with him at length and, and have a conversation, uh, you know, just, just means a lot. And, um, this was a loaded one. I mean, we went to some pretty deep places. Um, it was something else to sit across from him and just watch his body language as he is like recounting some of the experiences that he's been through a lot of very painful memories. I mean, you can hear him choking up at points. Uh, I remember looking across from him and seeing him like trembling a bit as he was telling some of these stories. I, I mean, it just like, I can feel it in my body now, just like talking about it. Um, you know, so just really grateful, um, to have had that opportunity, uh, very thankful to Tommy and his team for just allowing me that, that opportunity and, and giving me the time. I mean, I think, um, we had, we had budgeted like, you know, an hour and a half or something for that, for that interview. Um, and when we, we exceeded that by almost like an hour, I think. Um, and we, we spent some time talking together afterward and, you know, we've been in touch since. So, you know, to me, every conversation that I have for this podcast is, is important. Um, and I hope that they're, you know, impactful, but you know, that is one that will stay with me forever. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great one. Here's a clip from episode 202 with Tommy Rives. There were times when I, when I didn't think I would be able to come back and, um, and I wanted to go, and I, I, uh, it was beautiful, and it was peaceful, and it felt um, like home, and it felt welcoming, and it felt familiar, and it felt uh, restful, and um, and then when I got pulled back, I resented the fact that I was being pulled back, and I. I didn't want to go through the discomfort and the pain that it took to come back to whatever this is right here, whatever this experience is right now. Um, and then the further I got from that and the more determined I was, and, and not that I, determination has anything to do with it, but when I got to a point where there were things within my control, you know, like getting up out of bed, like putting in you know, sit to stand from my dead, from my bed 10 times throughout the day. I mean, when that's all that I could muster, like forcing down food, because I knew that if I didn't eat, I, I was going to starve to death and that, uh, I was the only one that could control that, you know, things like that, that determination when it became, when it became something that I had the ability to, to actually, um, aspects that I could actually control, then it shifted and, and it became still death was personified. Um, but I saw, I saw it as, um, not something, but almost someone. And it's easier to have a relationship with, with someone than it is with something, this unknown force. And so I would see it as, um, this adversary um <laughs> cancer is a is an interesting uh disease because it it feeds off of you it's a it's a parasite i mean it um 
and it tethers itself to your nervous system so that it feels what you feel. Um, it feeds off of what you feed off of. Um, and in the same way that because of the way that we've evolved, we have the propensity um, to spend a lot of time eating and resting um, because we once lived this existence that was um, an existence based on scarcity where we had to be constantly getting up, searching for food, you know, chasing down food, running from being, becoming food for somebody else. Um, and eventually, you know, hunger and fear for your life were the things that would propel you to get up and move so that because of that, you would need to then spend so much time resting and relaxing and, um, and we're still wired that way, you know? And so we're, we're hardwired to stay in bed. We're hardwired to just keep, you know, eating food. We're hardwired to not put in effort. Um, but we live in a, we live in a time where the motivation that comes in the form of hunger or fear is, is so rare for us, um, you know, to, to get us up and to get us out the door to chase down something to eat or whatever. Um, I saw, I saw cancer is the same way as though when, when I had the overwhelming feeling to, to be sedentary, um, to relax, um, to not go out and like put in effort because it was uncomfortable. Um, I would try to shift my mentality and think about the discomfort that I was feeling through effort that the cancer was also feeling that discomfort. And so if I would go out and I would run or I would bike or I would, you know, whatever it was, um, that effort that, that we so often try to avoid, I would try to flip it as though my own body was like a, a voodoo doll and I was the one holding the pins, if that makes sense. And um, if I was feeling it, then it was also feeling it. And so, you know, drive that pin in deeper and harder and more often. And as a way of... Um, <laughs> sounds, like, sounds like you're racing cancer. Like you'd be racing someone in a race and you're like, if I'm hurting this bad, you're going to be hurting at least this bad, if, yeah. if not worse. The moment that you like uh, realize that pain is your ally rather than your enemy and you weaponize that and you use it against your competitors and you use what it is that you personally are feeling as a gauge of what um the pain that you're inflicting on them it's exactly the same thing so that's that's the way that i viewed it as though um the deeper i could push myself into that state of discomfort uh the harder i could um pushback the more effort that i could that i could um put in um not as though it would make a difference because you don't cure cancer by you know by running you don't cure cancer by uh doing push-ups you don't cure cancer by 
whatever it was that I was doing to try to inflict pain on it. Um, but by doing that, you reminded that you're still there. Yeah, it was just a, <laughs> a fuck you more than anything, you know? Up next, we have Jin Juan Liu Tervalon. This is episode 203. So tell us a little bit about, I mean, she's a really inspiring person as well. I mean, it's like the sort of a theme for this podcast is uh, inspiring people in running. But tell us a little bit about how you connected with her and, and about this conversation. Yeah, so Jiwan is someone who has been uh, subscribed to The Morning Shakeout, following my work, however you want to put it, um, I think since the very beginning, certainly for, for several years. And we've had countless um, email exchanges about all manner of topics from like training to, you know, social advocacy, um, trends in running. I mean, you know, they've kind of, they've kind of spanned a, you know, a wide range and they've always been, you know, meaningful uh, exchanges to me. And at one point, I don't know if this was 2021 or, or 2022, um, she was, applying for a creative grant through Brooks. Um, I don't know how much attention this got. I'm not on social media anymore. I haven't been since 2020, so I, d- I didn't see a lot of this. But, you know, she did clue me into the fact that she was applying for this grant, um, and it was a creative grant, and she wanted to create a multimedia book project that showcases runners from Asian American Pacific Islander community, um, AAPI. And... Um, I was like, oh, this is, you know, this is, this is super interesting. And she ended up like winning one of the grants, uh, to be able to, you know, devote the time to sharing, you know, many of those stories, which she has in some different outlets already. I don't think the, um, I don't know if it's a, I don't know if the book is out yet or if it's going to become a book, but a lot of those stories have, you know, have gotten out there and she's been generous in sharing those with me. Um, but she does a lot of other stuff too. She's very active in her, um, community in Southern California. She serves on the board of bras for girls, which we talked about in this conversation. She's an advocate for creating social change through running. And in this conversation, like I just got to learn more about her and her journey in in running um she's again someone who found it a little bit later in life the work that she does as a writer and an advocate um and then you know we hit on a lot of themes that i like to talk about with most of my guests on this podcast and that's identity um the role and importance of community um you know how to use your voice to tell stories generate awareness and a lot more so um that's another yeah, I, I mean, these are all like I had to narrow it down to twelve. I mean, I could, I could talk, <laughs> I could talk about every episode like this, which you know would be uh, would be a lot of fun in a very very long episode. But um, you know, it was great to finally sit down and speak with her at length after years of just corresponding mostly over email. Yeah, with that, here's a clip from episode two hundred three conversation with Jean Juan Liu Tervalon. <laughs> To go off of that analogy of it lighting your fire, was that the spark that got you into writing more about some of these topics and pitching articles to various publications and using your voice in that way? Mm-hmm. It was one of the sparks. The other spark was a personal experience. Um, so in February of 2021, I was just out for a easy 
run on Tuesday, on a Tuesday. And I remember that was still peak COVID and a lot of people still wore masks outdoors. I was Mm -hmm. just running in my neighborhood. Um, I had a, a cloth mask, but I had over my chin. So when I saw someone, um, I pulled it up, but then she started screaming at me using slurs, calling me names. And I was stunned. I was totally stunned. I, at first I thought maybe she wasn't talking to me. Then I realized it was just me and her. She was triggered by seeing me without a mask. But then I immediately pulled it over my face as I ran past her. And the painful realization was that there were two other women walking by and she, they did not wear masks and she did not use any words on them. She did not scream at them. It was intentionally focused on me. And because she used words to describe my face and my body, I was like, oh, this is the anti-Asian attack that I've been reading so much about. And it took me a while to really reconcile because I've always seen my community as very diverse, welcoming, and I all the anti-Asian hate crime that's been reported is from Oakland, New York City. And I thought I'd been in, isolated and insulated from this whole wave of anti-Asian hate. And all of a sudden, I realized, holy shit, nobody is immune. Your education doesn't protect you. The car drive, mm-hmm. the, the, your job title doesn't protect you. Your, the car drive doesn't protect you. Nothing protects you where you live doesn't even protect you you think by living in a diverse neighborhood you would be protected no so that was quite a traumatic experience for me because it was the first time that I was overtly verbally attacked um, and took me a little while and I wrote about it and through friends um, I was able to get my story out on runner's world last year and that's when I started, I'm going to do more. Um, I have always seen myself as a writer. My husband's a writer. Um, I always thought I had a talent in writing and with words. And I thought this is a time to really put my talent to work. To not only advocate for AAPI runners, but also for all runners of color. And those who do not see themselves as runners to make running a more welcoming and inclusive space. All right, up next, this was a, this was, I mean, I need to stop saying it. This was another great one, (laughs) but this is episode 204. This is Tommy Runs. I mean, there's, there's a lot to talk about. I mean, this, this is another one where the intro to this clip could be super long. So why don't you just give us an intro to the intro of the clip? Okay. Intro to the intro of the clip. Yeah. (laughs) I met Tommy in April of this year on Boston Marathon Weekend. He was part of the Racers Roundtable that I hosted at Tracksmith a couple days before the Boston Marathon. And I'd never met him prior to that. We'd never corresponded prior to that. Um, Aside from the the panel, we got to talk a little bit outside. And I mean, I didn't talk to him for more than like five minutes where I was like, I got to talk to this guy for the (laughs) podcast and just like really get to to hear you know his his story and he said he'd be down for it and we ended up recording i think like a little less than two months after you know after boston and 
Um, yeah, Tommy, he's just a cool guy, man. Uh, he he's lived a very interesting life. He and I are around the same age. I think he's a little bit younger than me. Uh, he found running a little bit later. Um, you know, he's, he's clearly a good athlete. We talked about, um, just his, you know, his journey in life. He lived in Massachusetts for a period of time. He's from the Detroit area originally. So we talked a little bit about just like Massachusetts and his experience there. Um, a big part of Tommy's story is that he's had a troubled past with alcohol and he's traveled a you know pretty long road to sobriety and running's been a very big part of that um and even before that he you know was really into lifting and going to the gym we actually i remember joking during this conversation when he's telling me about that i was like man you should have uh you know you your screen name should have been like Tommy Guns instead of Tommy Runs. He's like, or, or Tommy Lifts instead of like Tommy Runs. And he's like, actually, he's like, it was Tommy Guns. Um, so, you know, I just like laughed. I laughed a lot in this conversation. Um, but I also just uh, appreciated how open and honest he was in sharing his story and, you know, his journey in sobriety and what he does now to keep himself you know, to keep himself straight, but then also just about, you know, how his relationship to running has evolved. Cause he's fast. I mean, the, you know, the dudes run like sub two fifty. I think in the marathon, um, this past fall. So after we had this conversation, he did what he called his redemption tour. I actually have a t-shirt of it. It looks like a, it looks like a band t-shirt. Uh, he ran three marathons in, I want to say like eight weeks. He ran them all sub three. Uh, I got to see him in Chicago. We like co-led a shakeout run together. Uh, we've, you know, we've stayed in touch since we had this conversation, but we covered a lot, just like, you know, again, another long one. I think this one was close to, you know, two hours, but, you know, we talked about everything from like identity, uh, what it's like for him to be, you know, a, a black runner in Detroit, which is, you know, not typically known as a, you know, a, a running hub, but they've got an incredible community there. Um, you know, just some of the stuff that he's doing now on like YouTube and, you know, social media, he's developed quite a following, um, but yeah, this is just another one that flowed real easy. Um, you know, even though we we talked about some tough, you know, tough topics, um, but it was like two hours that passed pretty quick. Yeah, it's, this one's great. This one's great. So with that, here's a clip from episode two hundred four with Tommy Runs slash Guns slash Lifts. In your experience, once you did become sober, and at first went to the gym. We'll get into running here in a second, but. Like you just described, you were pretty obsessive about the gym. You were going like every day, just throwing up weight, throwing up weight. And now, you know, I know you run like six days yeah, a week right. or so. You're you're training for races. So similar behavior pattern to when you were drinking. You were very consistent at at doing this thing. Do you find that that's a reason a lot of recovering addicts are attracted to? endurance sports whether it's you know running or something else um i i, I, I definitely noticed that i didn't realize that until like i kind of got deeper into it to see like you know like there's a lot of especially like um um like ultra you know like, mm-hmm. but i think there's i think that you know just just to kind of like make it light i think that like alcoholics and addicts i think we're just a little, little messed up in the head you know um and i think that we are okay with i mean we I'll just speak for myself. So I put myself through so many, so like so many dark moments of life. Like I lived through all these things that told me to stop doing this thing that doesn't even make me feel good. Like, you know, drinking isn't like a fun thing after a certain point, you know? 
Um, so I put myself through all that. And then, so what, what endurance and like lifting and, and running for sure, I feel like I'm good at it because I've been to the pain cave mentally for, for so long, you know, and all signs pointed to stop and I kept going. And so to me in running, I don't, I'll, I'll, I'll never get to a pain cave or a mental pain cave as bad as it was, you know, at my lowest moment in drinking. So I think that I'm just attracted to that because number one, the process, you know, the process is really, is, is just really cool to do something day in, day out and actually see, see a benefit. Um, so I just, I just got attracted to like that process. And then also I could just stay in this terrible moment for as long as we, we can. Yeah, so you were sharpening these mental tools while you were battling alcoholism that once you became sober, you could actually reapply to this other area of your life and almost like gave you a little bit of a, a head start versus someone else who is also just starting to run and train for races for the first time. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I said that, I said it before, and it was just like, and it sounds crazy, but I mean, I use a lot of the the lessons um, that I learned about myself while drinking, or a lot of the uh, the things that I put myself through, and other people around me through, um, as like, hey, man, if I can if I can be as consistent, um, even when I didn't want to, you know, and keep drinking and keep pushing through and and all that, then I can do almost anything, you know, I can. You know, because in certain things in life too, like there's gonna be signs that tell you like to you should just chill. Like you, your body says sometimes, like no, we don't we don't want to go any farther. Or you know, your mind tells you you can just relax today. Don't do this. Don't do that. We kind of talk ourselves out of good things sometimes. But I'm like, hey, if I can do the worst thing possible, you know, over and over for years, then I can apply this to to this running thing. And um, I just feel like I have a a tolerance for discomfort you know, maybe more than someone that hadn't been through some of the things I've been through. You know what I mean? All right. Now we have Peter Gilmore. This is episode 210. This is a person who's near Dieter Mario and my hearts because he's over 40 and crushing it. So let's talk, tell us a little bit about Peter. Uh, I mean, you know, this one's interesting. Um, as I said about Belota earlier, um, Peter is someone whose career I followed when I was coming up in the sport. I think he's five years older than I am. He wasn't a big collegiate star. He was a very good collegiate runner, but you know where where Peter made his mark in in running was as a marathoner. Um, he was top ten at the Boston Marathon. He represented the U.S. at a World Championship. I think that was two thousand seven or you know or nine. And I mean. I said this right at the at the beginning of the episode. Like Peter, Peter was my hero coming out of college. I wanted to be like Peter Gilmore. I mean, he's just a he's a grinder um, and just a, a great guy. Um, and I saw someone who I wanted to to be like. Someone who just busted his butt to become the best runner that he could be. Had a lot of belief in himself, and you know, achieved success that. You know, most people would have pegged him to be able to, you know, accomplish uh, maybe a few years earlier. You know, Peter also, 
he, you know, was never a big star, so he never got like big sponsorship. Like he was just the the blue collar runner that I had, you know, so much respect for. And another one who, you know, was Cal Calgrad, uh, stayed in the the Bay Area. I knew he was around here, but I'd, I'd never met him. Um, and I'd noticed, you know, I hadn't heard his name in a long time, and then noticed a couple of years ago that. Uh, he was racing again um, on the Masters circuit and and doing quite well. I mean, he was second at the uh, Masters Cross Country Championships last fall, and you know in Tallahassee. Um, but I, I'd never met him. And and last November, we were both at the Clarksburg Country Run, which happens like three weeks before CIM. It's uh, you know, just a very like grassroots kind of race. And, um, we both ran the half marathon. Uh, Peter was, I want to say second ran like one Oh eight or something like that. Damn. Uh, I was, I was much further, uh, behind him, but you know, we ran into each other after the race and, um, that was just like kind of a cool moment for me. You know, I'm not really like starstruck all that often, but, um, I was like, man, I looked up to this guy like for, for so long. And, you know, they say never meet your heroes, but I was like happy to meet one of my heroes. He's just like the <laughs> night. He's just like the nicest, nicest guy. Um, and you know, crazy enough. Now we're teammates. We both run for the West Valley track club masters team. Um, we race cross country nationals together, uh, just, you know, a little over a, a week ago as of, you know, this recording, you know, he's someone that I'm, I'm in touch with fairly regularly, but I went over to his house in the East Bay and sat down at his kitchen table for, again, like another like two hour <laughs> uh, conversation and just like talked about his life and his, you know, his journey and in, in running and the break that he took after, you know, his like you know, his fastest marathon years, um, were behind him. Like he was out of running for, you know, for a long time where he was just like, you know, jogging maybe like 15 miles a week. And then a few years ago, he, um, got back into, you know, got back into racing, which I'm I'm not going to ruin that, that story, but it's, it's a good one. Um, and he's trying to qualify for, you know, another Olympic trials in the marathon at, you know, 45 years old. And I mean, he's, yeah, talent's not the right he's certainly got the talent to do it but he's got the drive and the grit and the the work ethic to to do it and it's just like you know an honor now to call him a teammate he's someone i still look up to now you know as a, yeah. as a new masters runner um and uh again like a hero that i'm glad to have met he's just the nicest guy yeah this this was an awesome conversation so without further ado here's episode 210 with peter gilmore and you know what too mario like um I just thinking back to like last fall and running a bunch of different races. Sometimes like the the gems are are the unexpected ones. Like the two races that were the real highlights for me last year were just like ones that I wasn't even that fired up before. It was just like, oh, I'm going to go do this thing this weekend, and they turned out to be so memorable. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they and I know they're memorable for me, but they also resonated with the people that were around me because they knew they, they kind of watched the race. There was a saga to it. Like yeah. it was just it was just so much fun. It's painful, but but which races so were those? So the one uh, we talked about this once before was was the um, 
the John Lawson race in Marin, which is a local cross country race. And I ran, I doubled, I ran the master's race and there weren't a, uh, some of the guys who were the most competitive master's guys weren't there. So I won that one. Um, and I, I, I ran hard, but it was like a hard tempo effort. And then I would double back in the open race, like in whatever, like an hour later. And that was not going to be a hard tempo effort. Like that was going to be me like scraping and clawing. And, you know, they went out like super fast and I, I fought my way back to like eighth or ninth place by the end. And it was really, really hard, but it was super fun. Um, loved it. And then the PA champs, which is the local association yep. champs in Golden Gate Park, which is, uh, they made us run five miles, which is silly. We should have done six, but that's a separate story. We did five, we did the five mile course and Sergio Reyes, who you, you mentioned is a fabulous runner, a guy I've run against my whole life. Um, and he just turned 40. And he took it out hard and I was back and I, I kind of, I was tired. Like I had done, um, that Clarksburg half when we, um, when we first met, met yeah. and that was not that long ago. It was like a week or two before. So I was still kind of banged up. Sergio was there too at the half. So we were both a little banged up, but, but, um, I, I, I was not like very keyed up for that championship race and he took a big lead and I kind of slow, I didn't panic. I just kind of slowly chipped away and it occurred to me after a couple of miles that, Hey, maybe I can bring him back. And it happened very slowly over the five miles, a little bit closer, a little bit closer. And with a mile to go, I was pulled even with him. And that was, maybe it was less than a mile, but that was right kind of when we went by the crowd, by the finish line. We had to do one more loop around the polo field. And everybody was like, I was at that point, I was kind of, um, in the beginning, I was so far behind that I was not checked out, but not checked in. And midway through, I was checked in, and with like a K to go, I was fully on it. You were on it, like yeah. at the moments that you don't have a lot in your racing when you're on it, like all the way ready to go. And um, he was too, like I, as far as I could tell. We were, and then we had that last lap, and it came down to a sprint, and it was one of those elongated sprints where you you, you get somebody, and then they, and then you realize that you are going extremely hard, and they're coming back. And it's like, oh shit, do I have like another gear? Do I have sixth gear? Like I, I'm 40, 44 at that time. I don't think I got another gear, but I found one. Yeah. And, and, um, I just got him by a little bit and it was really memorable and, um, probably not as memorable for him, but you know, this is one of the things, um, as you get older and I realized this when I was younger, but more so now, like, and Sergio is a great example of this. He's, he's a super competitive guy, um, as am I. Um, he's a fantastic human being. Um, when we get along great off the race course. Um, and I love the fact that when we go to the starting line that, um, I can look at him in the eye or in the middle of a race or whatever, and know that he doesn't care how well we get along off the track. He wants to kick my ass. And, and I'm sure he understands the same thing about me. It, all the cards are on the table. And it's okay. It's okay to be competitive in that sense. It's not cool to be competitive in that sense in so many other parts of your life um, because it's, you'd be an asshole in a lot of situations. But in that framework, it's okay and it's great to have that. Um, it's great to have that in your life and to have people in your life who you have that very unique relationship with. And Sergio's not the only one. There's a lot of guys I can right. say that about. Yeah, but, um, but I really appreciate that. Up next, we have Allison Desir. This is episode 213, if you're following along at home. This is her second time on the show. Tell us a little bit about why you brought her back on and, and why do you want to continue telling her story? 
Yeah, second year in a row that Allison has been included in the best of roundup. I mean, to answer your question, when we had a conversation last year for the podcast, she mentioned the book that she was working on. And I said, well, when that book gets published, I'll have you back on the show and we'll talk about it. And that book was published this fall. It's called Running While Black. It came out in October. Um, And this was one of the first conversations that she had about the book. Uh, She did make the podcast rounds, but uh, I feel fortunate that she squeezed me in early and was willing to talk about it before she went on too many other shows. And a lot of this conversation just centered around the the book and how it came to be, how it evolved during the process of writing it. So I went through a name change. Um, you know, Allison shared some of her experiences of being a black woman in a very white space. Uh, she told me about the impact that she hopes her book will have. Um, we did some like thinking out loud, uh, discussing what reimagining the run could look like for future generations and, you know, a lot more just like kind of around, you know, her book and a lot of the themes that run through it. The first conversation that we had in 2021, you know, went more into like her background, how she found running and, you know, a lot of the work that she does. But this one is very, um, very topical about her new book. Yeah, it's great. Here is Allison Desir, episode 213. When you sat down to write and put pen to paper, so to speak, or, or mm-hmm. fingers to keyboard and <laughs> yeah. start writing the book, who was your intended audience that you had mm. in mind in terms of who you wanted to read the book and be most impacted by it? Yeah, um, I actually, so there's two audiences for this and it was, um, and actually the part of this has changed through the title change. So initially the, the unbearable whiteness of running was more of like this manifesto that I was thinking. And that's how I started writing the book um, that was really pointing out all the things that was wrong <laughs> with the industry. Right. And um, from a historical perspective and just sort of like moving through time, noting all of these things. And in that the audience was more a white audience or a non black audience who did not have this information and insight. But what I realized as we were, you know, as I was writing in that way and speaking with my editor and other folks is that it didn't have, it didn't have me in it. It didn't have my personal story. And to be honest, it's less, it's not as powerful of a book if you're just sitting here saying like, and here are all the things (laughs) that you did wrong or that are wrong. So along with that came with, all right, let's make this more personal. Let's tell my personal story. And then people, there are already so many people who are either connected to me or things that I've created, tell my personal story. And in doing that, I was really telling the story of what it is to exist in a Black body in this world. And then particularly running while Black. So it shifted along with the title. And I think now what it is, it's really for Black people and, you know, other um, marginalized groups, um, even folks who are part of maybe trans and disability communities, right? Like folks can read this and and relate to the experience of moving through space, not being centered or moving through this world, not being centered. And then I think white folks and folks with other privileges um, can start to think like, oh, wow, I never realized that whiteness was a default. I never realized that um, folks who have different lived experiences from me have felt a lack of belonging. So 
you know, really broad audience, but I think there's something for everyone. Yeah. It's interesting to hear you describe it in that way. Cause as I was, I was reading it. So the title of the book running while black, and I was like, you know, you could substitute a number of different words in there Mm -hmm. for black. I mean, the specific stories and histories would be different, obviously, but I, I saw just in my understanding of, of history and having been around the running industry races, et cetera, for, I mean, two plus decades now, Mm -hmm. like you could put, as you just described women in there, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. you know, you could put, um, you know, trans non-binary runners in there. I mean, various different people of of color in there, like all these different marginalized groups who are trying to exist in a world. And it's right in the subtitle of your book that wasn't built for them. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And not to get too far ahead, because I want to dig into the the book itself, but I'm thinking about this and I'm like, you know, who knows what the impact is going to be. But Mm -hmm. I imagine someone from another one of those groups may read this and see themselves in mm. parts of of your experience and it will spur them to tell you know their own stories um that would be the biggest gift and my hope right because i think you know another statistic that comes to mind a friend of mine wrote uh wrote this book called uh shoot brown like me or um, I forget, Christopher Rivas is the author, shout out to him. Um, but he cited this quote that was in the t- uh, a 2020 article in the New York Times that only 5% of books written since 1950 have been written by non-white authors, right? 5%. So think about what that means in terms of the stories that have been told, that have been given institutional support, that have been available for purchase, there's a huge percentage of people whose stories have never been told. So if you look at the story that of running that's been told, it's been, you know, for the most part, one particular story, which is obviously valid for a large amount of people in this country, in this world. But then there are so many other stories that have not been told. And I hope that's it. You know, like I think about my non-binary friends who are involved in um, finally getting, for example, the Boston Marathon to establish a category for non-binary folks with prize money. Like, I want to read Lauren, uh, Lauren, Jake, two of my activist friends. I want to read their book. I want to read Running While Non-Binary, you know, like, and being able to understand people's experiences. My intent is not to devalue, for example, your experience, Mario, right? Mm -hmm. It's just to show you other people are having a different experience. Maybe I wasn't aware of it. Now that I am, what can I do to expand my wonderful experience and ensure that they have it too? Up next, we have Chris Mosier. This is episode 214. There's a lot going on in this episode. I mean, the conversation around speed walking was (laughs) revelatory. Uh, his background is amazing. Um, how how did you connect with Chris, and um, you know, and why 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 did you want to have this conversation? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, I got introduced to Chris on another podcast. He was on Finding Mastery with Michael Gervais, and I shared a link to that episode in my newsletter a while back, and. I can't remember exactly how I worded it, but I said before anyone asks, um, yes, I will try to get Chris on the podcast because what I'd heard about his story in his conversation with Michael, I I wanted to learn more and go to some different places than he did in, in that conversation, which was great. You should totally listen to him on, on Finding Mastery as well. Um, 
the next morning, I had an email from fellow podcast host and previous guest of my show, a mutual friend of me and Chris, Allie Feller. And she said, let me know if you want me to introduce you to Chris. And I said, yes, please. Uh, she made the introduction. Uh, Chris was aware of me and my show. He had actually listened to a previous episode with Allison Desir, Um, said he would love to come on. We scheduled it for like a month, month and a half later. And then, you know, we had a, you know, we had a great conversation. I think this one was like around an hour and a half. I don't know that we went uh, quite two hours, but, you know, Chris is a, an interesting and incredible athlete. Interesting because he does a lot of different things. I mean, he's um, Hall of Fame triathlete, All-American yeah. duathlete, um, has represented Team USA in that sport, um, but he's also a national champion and Olympic trials qualifier in race walking, which is how we started off the, you know, the conversation. Um, he is also a transgender man, and he's the first known transgender man to represent the U.S. in international competition. He's um, a Nike-sponsored athlete, uh, but he's also just, I mean, someone who through some very hard times has gotten to know himself better than anyone that I've ever met, you know, and he, mm -hmm. you know, he's, he's an athlete, but he's also you know, an advocate. Um, he's an inspiration. He's a mentor. He's a role model to, you know, to a lot of people. And, you know, we just, we just clicked, you know, this is another conversation that even though we talked about some difficult topics, it really just flowed. And I was interested, you know, in Chris's story and how he got into, you know, sport, how he found race walking, uh, you know, which I, I'm not going to ruin that one for you, but that's at the very top of the show. Fascinating. We talked about identity. Um, we talked about community, you know, different ones that he belongs to. We talked about, you know, the he's got this interesting perspective because now, you know, he's uh, he's navigating the world as, you know, a, a white guy, you know, and that's a completely different perspective from, you know, what he experienced, you know, earlier in his, you know, in his life before, um, you know, before he, he transitioned. So we talked, you know, we talked about all of that and it was just a very like, you know, dynamic and powerful conversation. I'm very proud to have had it. Yeah, this one's great. Here's a clip from episode 214 with Chris Mosier. This is the first conversation that we've ever had, and I've listened to you on other podcasts, which eventually led to us talking right now. But one of the things that I really just admire and respect about you is how well, at least at this point of your life, you, you know yourself and you love yourself. And if I just zoom out at, at large, I kind of look at, you know, society and people in my life, a lot of people never get there. Um, you know, whether they're, whether they're cisgender, transgender, white, black, tall, short, like there, there are so many people who have a hard time arriving at, at that place. And I mean, it hasn't been an easy journey for you to, to get there at, at all. And I think that's a great takeaway for anyone who's listening to this. It's like, you know, whatever it is, um, stay in it. Um, and, you know, keep working toward it and get to that place, like where you can love yourself for who you are, whatever, you know, whatever that means. And hopefully, you know, you surround yourself with people who love you for that, um, and respect you for that. And I, I mean, I think that's what this is all about. And that's the place that we really need to get is just kind of more self-love and then more of a greater acceptance by the people we surround ourselves with. 
And that's so, so important. That last part of, of who we surround ourselves with, like, you know, you've heard people say you are the, the average of your five closest friends or, you know, whatever, uh, whatever that saying is. But I really, really believe that it has made a world of difference for me to be surrounded by people who want to lift me up as opposed to want to push me down so they can get higher. And I've certainly cut a lot of people from my life and am constantly on that, um, you know, on that cut list of saying, like, I, I just have done a better job in the last several years of releasing what doesn't serve me. And that is not easy and it feels selfish at times. But the only way that I can show up and be my best version of myself and to do the most good in the world, which is really what I want to do, is by taking care of myself in that way. And having, you know, every negative thought that you have about yourself, every thing, I'm too slow, I'm, you know, I could never do this, I could never do that, I, I don't look like a runner, whatever it is, those things were put there by someone else. We don't, we, we are not born hating ourselves. We learn that over time, and that's because every the world is a hostile place, and that's just the the sad reality is that as going back to social media, it's a hellhole, you know, and it's so easy to yes, you'll see a couple of cute videos, but you will also get messages that you are not enough the way you are, and that you'll never be enough as the person that you are, and those don't serve us, and so it really is about surrounding ourselves with joy and love and people who love to do what we do and who will uplift us, and that's the power of community, and that's, again, just to go back to why running is so amazing is that you have those run clubs, you form those relationships, and that's what can really sustain us through the hard times and really help us get to better know ourselves. Yeah, and and I'll add to that, the stories that you tell yourself about yourself are what matter and are what are important. Because as you said, you know, too slow, too fat, too whatever, that's someone else casting that uh, upon you. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you choose whether or not to believe it or ignore it. But the stories that you tell yourself are important. I mean, I do this as a coach all the time with my Wednesday night group in San Francisco. It's huge. We have a wide range of ability levels and people come onto the track for the first time and they'll say, I'm, I'm not a runner. And I'm like, well, who told you that you're here to run in my eyes, you're, you're a runner. And I've told people like, as one of my athletes, like no one's ever called me an athlete before. Um, you know, people don't see themselves in that way. And, and I think mm-hmm. if there's another takeaway from, from this conversation, it's like, you will believe the stories that you tell yourself. Um, but you're also in charge of that narrative as well. And, um, you know, what's been clear to me throughout this conversation is, you know, you've really got to, to know yourself and, and know the story that you, you want to tell about yourself and how you want to move through the world. And I think that's a really powerful example. Yeah, unfortunately, it came through some negative press and some, you know, stories that were published early on that I definitely felt out of control of my narrative. And, you know, people wanted to frame me as one specific thing or uh, because they had some internalized transphobia themselves as as reporters really put that in the story. And and I found that to be, you know, really tough to take of here's the story that's supposed to be a profile, a celebration of me and who I am. And you're saying that I'm being deceptive because I won't tell you where I work because I'm harassed every day where I work. So, you know, like I've had experiences like that where it didn't feel safe to, um, to be in that position. And that's definitely made me want to have 
back to control again, right? To control that narrative about myself. And I think we all want that, right? Everybody who's on social media wants to control the narrative about themselves because we all post our highlight reels, you know, like that's, if we're posting, we aren't often posting the picture with food on our face or, you know, where we spilled on our shirt. Like it's, it's the, it's the, the cute shots. And so that's, and the PRs, right? Like it's, it's very rarely, maybe runners do that better than anybody else. Talk about the struggles, talking about, some of the hard parts, but by and large, you know, as people, we really want others to have what we deem as like a positive view of us. And one of the greatest gifts that I have received in the last decade has been um, not caring what people think about me (laughs) as much as I did before, right? I can't say that it's totally gone, but um, what other people's, other people's opinions of me are none of my business. And that's why I try not to read the comments on posts and why I try not to read the comments on articles. And everybody's going to have an opinion and a lot of them are ill-informed. But my probably greatest compliment is that anybody who has spent time talking to me as a real person has said that I have exceeded their expectations. And so maybe I've set a little, a low bar for myself, but what <laughs> I really, but what I really love is when people, you know, there's this idea like never met, never meet your heroes. You'll be disappointed, right? Um, I always want people to feel like they are a better version of themselves from having a conversation with me. And, and that's really what my hope is. All right. Last, but definitely not least, we have episode 215 with Marielle Hall. She, was, she, she raced to the Rio Olympics in the 10K and Mario chatted with her at the mammoth trail fest <laughs> am i getting that right uh you're not getting it totally wrong we met at the mammoth <laughs> trail fest so fu- oh, okay, so funny gotcha, story yeah. so so the inaugural mammoth trail fest was this year next year it's actually going to be on the golden trail series so it's going to be even better than it was just as a you know as a side note awesome. but i was there um it's put on by by my athlete and good friend tim tollefson and the night before the first race, I hosted a live show with Adam Campbell. Um, Billy Yang had a thing that night. There were some other speakers. There was a whole program. And we were just sitting around in the you know, courtyard area, I guess, um, at the village there where everything started and finished. There was fire there. It was, it was pretty cool. And I looked over and I was like, that looks like Mariel Hall. And, uh, you know, she's in all, she's in all Nike stuff. And I was like, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure that's Mariel Hall, but why would she be at a, you know, a, a trail running event? <laughs> um, and I was just like too shy to go up and like introduce myself. Cause I didn't want to, if it wasn't her, I didn't want to feel like an idiot, but, um, I was like, I'm pretty sure that was Mariel Hall. Anyway, I was talking to my friend, James Cassidy, who is a, um, longtime friend of mine, physical therapist in Massachusetts, has a bunch of clinics uh, throughout the like Metro West area, you know, of the state. He came out for the Mammoth Trail Fest, and you know, James and I were catching up. It had it had been a few years, um, and he was like, "Oh, have you met Mariel?" And I was like, "No." Uh, he's like. Oh, let me go introduce you, because um, he had actually yes, treated her, because because <laughs> now Mariel lives in Providence. Um, you know, she had she had changed her uh, living and training situation, and you know she's training with Kurt Benninger out of Providence, and and James had 
had treated her and knew her. So he introduced me to her. Um, so we ended up just like catching up at Mammoth Trail Fest and I extended the invitation to be on the podcast. We exchanged contact information. You know, I shot her a note the next week. We scheduled it and we, yeah, had a great conversation ahead of her half marathon debut, which went spectacularly well in Philadelphia. She finished a very close second. Uh, it was like, you know, sprint to the finish, you know, less than 10th of a second, uh, she lost by, um, but yeah, Mariel's just a, she's just another like, you know, incredible athlete, but cool person. Um, you know, grew up in, in Pennsylvania, trained with Bowerman Track Club, made the Olympics in the, in the 10,000 national title in the, you know, 15K. Um, you know, she's just, you know, she's, she's had a great career, but it's been an up and down last couple of years and she changed her environment and, you know, she struggled for, for a while. And we talked, through a lot of that in, in this conversation, um, you know, but she's on this track or has been on the track where she's like moving up in distance. And like, even she moved up to the 10K, she made the Olympic team, you know, and she ran super fast. She won a 15K uh, national title on the roads. Her half marathon debut went great. And I'm like, you know, I see a, a like, I kind of see a pattern here of like the longer the race gets, the, <laughs> the better Marielle gets. Um, you know, so I, I hope that, you know, she continues to just have a, you know, a tremendous career. But, you know, we, we talked about all that stuff, you know, much like a lot of these other conversations, we talked about her relationship to running, how it's evolved, you know, what place she wants it to hold in her life moving forward. And yeah, another person I just felt like I, I clicked with, uh, when I met her in, in Mammoth, which just made, you know, this conversation, which we recorded remotely, um, go a lot easier. Well, here is Muriel Hall, episode 215. One thing that I'm interested in is if at any point over the last year or two when you were struggling with injury or an inability to run at the level that you were back in 2016 when you made the Olympic team, if you had considered stepping away from the sport and moving on from being a professional athlete. Hmm. I feel like I... I've thought about that, but maybe in more of a, I think having like a lack of success or a different performance, I think it makes me ask that question more of like, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Where maybe if you're having, you know, almost all A races and seeing yourself grow and seeing yourself like kind of like level up to each experience, you maybe ask yourself that once a year to check in to see like, okay, do I still want to do this? Am I still ready to commit? Um, but I feel like when you don't have that, you just you just ask that question more frequently. So I feel like I was asking that question more frequently, but still kind of felt like my response was, you know, I I have to see what it, it what I could be outside of this hole that I'm in <laughs> that feels, you know, very big and not um, maybe don't feel close to getting out of it. But I think every time I asked that question, that was still kind of a desire to like know or see myself outside of where I was at this moment. Um, so I asked the question, but I don't know that I ever you know, like fully committed to a discipline outside of what I was doing or what I'm doing right now. So following up on that, how do you see yourself now that you are outside of that hole or at least the deepest part of that hole? <laughs> right. Um, I, I don't know that it's, that I have like a specific vision of, you know, what, what I 
should be able to do or what I want to be able to do. Uh, I think it's just more, and this is so hard because I think uh, this is something I talk about with Kurt too, where it's like, okay, I can't really tell you that I feel good. It's just, it's just a feeling. I, I couldn't give you a specific workout or a day where I, where I knew that this is, um, that I'm on the right track. It's just, you know, I'll know <laughs> when I know kind of thing, which is not helpful and not, not a helpful guidance piece for like a coach or myself. <laughs> um, but I think it really isn't like, like I want to win races. I want to, you know, compete in the Olympics again. I, I want to be able to, to, you know, see myself as a major player in this sport, but it really is just like, I want my body to be able to do what I feel like it's capable of doing. Um, that's what excites me most is just, you know, maybe that'll be a day, one race, maybe it'll be a couple, a year, but it's just, if I could get back to, you know, the one race where, you know, you you feel like yourself or you feel like the work that you're doing accumulates to a version of yourself that you believe in, then, I, then I'd be pretty pleased. All right, Mario, we did it. 12 we episodes highlighting it. the best of 2022. Certainly not all the best because they were all great, but, you know, you have to split hair somewhere, right? Yeah, this is a bit of a highlight reel. Um, I mean, certainly check these out. But there's, you know, a ton of other ones, you know, in between that, you know, because I capped this at 12, like I just, I I had to make, I had to make some choices. And they were, you know, they were hard choices. I mean, um, I had on Ted Metellus, who's former colleague of mine, at the competitor group, and now the race director of the New York City Marathon. I mean, that was a, a short but awesome conversation. Uh, Sid Baptista, who um, founded the Pioneers Run Club in Boston, is doing incredible things in the community of Dorchester. Um, I had on Brendan Leonard of Semi-Rad. We had an awesome conversation about running and creativity and like all this stuff. Um, you know, live show with Jake Whiteman. I mean, there's just a lot that I could not include in here, which I always feel bad about. So go check those out, you know, as well. But um, Chris, thank you so much for co-hosting this episode of the Morning Shakeout podcast with me. I hope everyone enjoyed it. Big thank you to our sponsors, New Balance and Precision Fuel and Hydration for making this possible. Definitely check out the show notes. There's a great discount from Precision Fuel and Hydration. Uh, if you use the code TMS22 and you check out at Precision Fuel and Hydration, you'll get 15% off your first order. Um, a big thank you. I'd like the biggest thank you to John Summerford, who is the producer of this podcast. He has produced every episode of The Morning Shakeout. He is the reason that the quality of the audio is so high every week. I mean, he has just been there since day one. He's super committed. Um, He's as as invested in this as I am, as you are. Um, And he's a big reason that you know, the show has been successful, um, as it has been over the last several years. So a huge thank you to John. Um, shout out to Jeff Stern. He manages the morning shakeout social media accounts. He's the guy who's, you know, sharing all of these episodes every week on Instagram and Twitter, replying to a lot of you, you know, in the DMS, resharing your stories. So, um, big shout out to Jeff. Thank you to all of you, the listeners. I mean, this show, um, wouldn't be what it, but it is and and would not have grown in the way that it has over the past five years without you. So thank you for your continued interest and support. Um, 
couple more things before we wrap this one up. If you haven't already, make sure that you're subscribed to the Morning Shakeout email newsletter. It comes out every Tuesday morning. Uh, it has come out every Tuesday morning for the last seven plus years. You can find that at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. I think that just about covers everything. Um, on behalf of Chris Douglas, my right-hand man, co-host for this show, uh, and just kind of behind-the-scenes ninja at The Morning Shakeout, I am Mario Fraioli, and thank you so much for listening. Have a happy new year. 